I'm so thankful. That song really touched my heart. It's really good to know that when we cry or when we hurt, Jesus sympathizes with us. Amen? He cares for us. He understands what we're going through. He understands what we need. And it's just a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. As our high priest, he has gone through the same experiences that we have gone through. And anytime we need help, the Bible says we just need to go to his throne of grace. And it is there that we will find mercy. So I was really thankful for that. That song, those lyrics really touched me. Today we're going to be talking about witnessing. And the title of my message is Fire in My Bones. Witnessing is crucial for the Christian experience. Isn't that true? Uh, witnessing is not something that we limit to a, uh, to, to a mission trip, or it's not something that we do once a month, right? Witnessing should be something that we do on a day-to-day basis. As Christians, God has called each and every one of us to be witnesses for him, right? That's why he says that ye are the light of the world. He has called each and every one of us to share the gospel truth, to share the message of the truth, truth with this dying world. And so I want to talk about witnessing this morning. I want to talk about why is witnessing important, but I also want to talk about how we can have, as Christians, how we can have that personal, strong desire to witness to our neighbors, to the people that are around us. So before we get into this morning's message, I'd like us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you so much that you have brought us into this church at this time. I'd like to thank you that you have a message that you want all of us to hear, and I include myself in that because I know that even when I speak, sometimes you surprise me with different truths and you teach me new things. And Father, I believe that you have a strong desire this morning to share with us something that's on your heart. And so it is my prayer that as we all tune in, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be the one that is preaching this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a message that would encourage us, that would inspire us to get off from our pews and to do the wonderful work that you have called us to do. Father, we are all professed disciples of Jesus. We are all professed Christians, and we want to do, we want to do things for you. We want to serve you. But, Father, we know that sometimes we, it is hard for us to even have the desire to do it. And so this morning, I pray that as we talk about the significance of witnessing, I also want to pray that, Lord, you'd please help me through your word to be able to, to, to share a word of encouragement, something that would inspire us, something that would spark something in our hearts to want to go out to the highways and to the byways and to finish this work. Father, we know that the end is very near. You have said, behold, I come quickly. And Father, with that in mind, I just pray, Lord, that we would really do something about that, that we would act by faith, that we would hasten the second coming of Jesus. And so it is my sincere prayer that, Father, you would preach the message this morning. May I hide behind the cross of Calvary. May your Holy Spirit be present in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about witnessing. Again, witnessing is not limited to a mission trip, or it's not something that we do once a week. We witness on a day-to-day basis because that's what God calls for us to do. I'm going to share with you a story at the end of this sermon that was so powerful as I read through it. It inspired me to just really start praying that God would put souls in, in, in my direction, that I would be able to witness to people day to day. Not just to one person, but more than that. I, I really pray that my life would be a witness to everyone that is around me. With everything that I say, with everything that I do, I pray that I would witness for heaven. And I pray the same for each and every one of us. But if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah this morning. And Jeremiah chapter 20 is a very powerful chapter. It uh, goes into the life of Jeremiah in which there was a time where he was placed into prison. 
But in Jeremiah chapter, actually, let's go ahead and look at Jeremiah chapter 19, just for the sake of context. Jeremiah was a prophet that was called um, when, he was in his, uh, when he was about 20 years old. And that's uh, the same age as many of you here. But he, God had placed the responsibility of him being a prophet at this time. And during this time, he was prophesying to those who were in Judah, those who were in Jerusalem. And it was in, during this time that, that, that God's people were not in good shape, spiritually speaking. And in Jeremiah chapter 19, looking at verse 3, we find here some words that God gives to Jeremiah to preach or to share with those who are in attendance. And look at verse 3. The Bible says, And say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon the place, the which whosoever heareth, his ears shall tingle. Verse 4, Because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah have filled this place with the blood of innocence. Verse 5, they have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. So these are the words that God wanted Jeremiah to prophesy about. He wanted to speak these words, and these words really are strong, right? This is strong language here. But the reason why God wanted to give Jeremiah these words is because he wanted to give a sharp warning to the inhabitants in that place that, listen, you need to wake up. You need to realize what you are doing is an abomination. During this time, you know, they were getting involved in idolatry. But it was so intense that they would even be crucifying their own children or sacrificing their own children before these idols. And God was seeing that. He's like, what is going on? Why are you doing this? I have clearly stated in my word that this is wrong, that this is something that you should not be participating in. Idolatry is a sin, isn't it? And so here Jeremiah had to preach these powerful words. He had to, he had to give these words of reproof to the people. Notice what it said in verse, notice what it says, continuing on. Let's look at verse 7. And I will make void the counts of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, by the hands of them that seek their lives. And their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. I will make this city desolate, and hissing every one that passeth thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of all the plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. They shall eat every one the flesh of their friend and seize the straightness, wherewith their enemies and they that seek their lives shall straighten them. Verse 10, then shall you break the bottle in the sight of men that go with thee, and shall say unto them, thus saith the Lord, even so will I break this people in this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury and toff it till there be no place to bury. So it goes on further. Here, Jeremiah, not only did he have to prophesy these words, but he also had to take what was called a flask. And he had to take this flask and throw it on the ground, and it would shatter. And that would represent the judgment that is going to befall upon the people because of their continuous stubbornness and their sin. But you see, my friends, this prophecy was a conditional prophecy. You know, God never wants any judgments to befall upon his people. But sometimes he's got to allow judgments to fall if they continue in, in persistently being stubborn against his will. In fact, notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 18. 
it, it actually talks about how, how God says, if a nation turns around, if they turn from their ways, then the judgments will not befall upon them. And so God, in giving this, this warning message, he was, it, it was his intention to, to cause his people to turn around, to turn from their wicked ways and turn to the living God. Jeremiah chapter 20, looking at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now Pashur, the son of Imar, the chief, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. So here we have this man. His name is Pashur. Uh, he is a, a son of a priest, and he is also known as the chief governor. And the chief governor during that time was close to the high priest in rank. Was close to the high priest in rank. And so here he is. This is Pashur, a church leader, and he overhears that, 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 that there's this prophet Jeremiah, and he's preaching strong words against the kingdom. And he hears these words, and look what happens in verse 2. The Bible says, Then Pashur smote Jeremiah, the prophet, put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass tomorrow that Pashur brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. What's happening here? Pashur overhears what's going on. Jeremiah's prophesying these, these, these rebukes, these strong words. And he hears this, and immediately he has Jeremiah put into stocks. Now, stocks, what is that? A stock is, I don't really, I can't really visualize what it looks like, but I was reading in onto it, and it's, uh, it, it, I, was ba- I basically learned that stocks, if you were placed in stocks, you'd be placed in a, a position that is very uncomfortable. You'd be placed in a position, your body would be in an awkward position, and it would be painful, it'd be agonizing, it'd be torture. And so here, Pastor, he puts them in the stocks where they, where they believe he was there for about a night, for a full night. So here's the prophet of the Lord. God gave him a message. He was a prophet that was to preach a message of warning to, the, the, to God's children. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we see here that he gets placed into prison. And as he's placed in prison, Jeremiah has this really interesting experience. He sort of wrestles with God. And I want you to notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 20, looking at verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 20, looking at verse 7. The Bible says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and has prevailed. I am in derision, how long? Daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. So here, Jeremiah, he, he just experiences a full night of being in an awkward position, being tortured by this man named Pashur, who's a church leader who should be supporting him. And here he is, he's using this, he, he's basically conversing with God, he's speaking to God, and he's saying, you have, you have deceived me. You are stronger than I, you have prevailed over me. You can tell that he's really struggling with his relationship with God, really questioning what's going on here. Why am I in this position right now? Shouldn't, my, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't things be different? Shouldn't, shouldn't I not be in prison right now? Shouldn't you be taking care of me, protecting me? So here's this strong language coming out of Jeremiah. But there was something that happened, I, I, I would assume, as he's going through these, these thoughts, as he's, as he's conversing with God. I want you to notice what, it, what happens next in verse 9. The Bible says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. So here we see, he's like, He's pretty much really discouraged, right? He's coming to the point where he's like, should I just give up right now? Should I just not speak of your name? And notice what it continues on to say. But his word 
was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Isn't that powerful? Here he is, he's in this, this battle, this struggle, this mental battle with God. And he's just on the brink of about to give up. But for some reason, he says those words, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Basically, Jeremiah was coming to this conviction that in spite of the fact that I'm suffering right now, in spite of the fact that I had just spent an entire night in, in the stops, in spite of the fact that I had been struggling here for the sake of the truth, I cannot deny that God's word is true. I cannot deny that God has a specific purpose for me at this time. And so he says those words that the word of God is like, is like a fire within his heart. He could not resist the strong conviction that this is what God had called him to do at this very time. And beloved, this is really, I believe, the reason why also God called him into the ministry. Because perhaps God believed or God foresaw that Jeremiah had this persistence in him. That he had this, you know, even though he would go through all these trials and these temptations and these difficulties as a prophet, he knew that Jeremiah had this strong will. He had this, this strong heart to, want to go about his father's business. And as I'm reading this, I was just thinking to myself, do I have that type of heart? Do I have the same heart that Jeremiah has here? That, you know, when I go through those, my trials and my temptations, am I one to say, you know, but God's word is like a fire burning within my heart. It is like, it is like flames within, within my bones. I, I had to ask myself the question, is that what I experience? Do I have the same heart as Jeremiah? So as I was reading through this passage, I wanted to ask the question, well, number one, we're going to talk about why is witnessing important, but I also want to address why or how is it that we can have that desire, that urge that Jeremiah had to go out and to prophesy in spite of the fact that people would do him wrong. You know, I think that many times the reason why we don't witness the reason, the, the reason why we don't go out there with boldness and confidence telling others about Jesus, I believe, is because we are worried about the consequences of doing so. You know, I don't know about you, I know for me personally that that was definitely a challenge for me. When I was first asked to you know, go out and start witnessing, to preach a message, for example, or to go out into the streets and to canvas or to Bible work, whenever I would be asked to do that, you know, there was always these questions that go through my mind, what if... What if, what if, right? I don't know about you, but questions that, like, what if, uh, what if I get rejected, right? What if, what if I'm giving this Bible study, or I'm at the door, and I'm sharing the truths that are in my hands? What if the person just doesn't want to receive it? What if they reject me? Or what if they, what if in rejecting me, they start to say foul language towards me? I remember one day I was at a door, canvassing is one of my first times out canvassing, and I open this door and I'm like this, you know, this innocent kid just trying to canvas and all of a sudden like I'm trying to canvas and this guy's get off my lawn, right? Like get up. And he like pretty much tells me to get off the lawn. He's like threatening me. He's like saying, I'm going to take you down if you don't get off. And I remember after that experience, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, right? Like he was going to take my life. This guy, like his face was insane. 
But oftentimes it is those things, those thoughts that come into our mind and we ask the question, what if, what if, what if? What if I forget what I'm supposed to say when I'm in the middle of a Bible study? You know, what if I'm going through my notes and my notes just don't make sense? What if something like that happens? Or perhaps you may ask the question, what if I ask, what if I ask, or they ask me a question that I cannot answer? Have you ever thought about that before? What if I'm out there witnessing or I'm, I'm talking to someone about Jesus and they ask me a crucial, important question and I just don't have the words to say? I believe that the reason why we don't witness as much is because we are afraid of the consequences. But you know what Ellen White says? She says this, We should choose the right because it is right and leave consequences with God. And witnessing is the right thing to do, is it not? God has called us to be witnesses. That is, that is our commission. And because it is the right thing, Ellen White says that we ought to leave the consequences with God. If God calls you to do something, number one, he's going to equip you to do it. But also, number two, he's going to be there as you do it. Amen? So we should not be afraid of witnessing, but we should be encouraged to witness because by witnessing, it is how we change the lives of others and help them find Jesus. Why is witnessing important? There are a couple of quotes I want to share with you from the pen of inspiration. This one's found in Testimonies, Volume 8, page 47, paragraph 2. It says, God calls upon every church member to enter his service. Truth that is not lived, that is not imparted to others, loses its life-giving power, its healing virtue. Very powerful words. Ellen White says, number one, all church members, every church member should be participating in the service of God. So that doesn't excuse anyone. We have all been called, whether whatever background you have in life, if you're a dentist, if you're a nurse, if you are uh, an engineer, um, if you're working in Southern somewhere, God has called each and every one of us to be about his business, to serve. But it's very interesting. She said, truth that is not lived, that is not imparted to others, loses its life-giving power it's healing virtue. Beloved, not only is it important for us to witness for the sake of saving souls, but witnessing is important for our sake. Because if we do not impart to others the truth that we have been given as a church, then what's going to happen is that the truth loses its life-giving power to us and its healing virtue. So witnessing is a very important thing for each and every one of us to do. Christ's Object Lessons, page 354 Paragraph 2 says this, Every effort made for Christ will react in blessing upon others. If we use our means for His glory, He will give us more. Isn't that beautiful? When you go about doing His work, when you, go, you, when you have, finally stir up the confidence to go share the truth that you know, even though it is small, there is a promise that God will abundantly bless you with so much more. And I have found that to be true. When I would give a Bible study, even though I'm nervous, or when I would preach, even though I'm very nervous, God always blesses me with so much more truth to share with others. And so, beloved, you should not be afraid to share, to witness, because you feel like you don't know enough. Witness so that you can know more. Because God wants to bless you with more knowledge and bless you with the skill sets to do this work. Continues on, as we seek to win others to Christ, bearing the burden of souls in our prayers, our own hearts will throb with the quickening influence of God's grace. Our own affections will glow with more divine fervor. Our whole Christian life will be more of a reality, more earnest, more prayerful. If you ever, ever ask yourself the question, why is it that my Christian experience is dead? 
Why is it so dry? Why is it that I don't feel like I'm advancing or moving forward in my Christian experience? Well, this is the answer right here. If we are witnessing, if we are imparting others the truth that we have been given, if we are doing the work of evangelism, she talks about how our hearts will throb with the quickening influence of the Holy Spirit. She continues on to say that our affections will glow with divine fervor. Our whole Christian life will be more of a reality. Have you ever felt like your Christian experience is fake? She says if you get involved in the work of God, your Christian experience will become vibrant. It will become more of a reality. You'll be more earnest and you will be more prayerful. So beloved, if we are cutting off that element in our Christian experience of witnessing, we are cutting off that life-giving power that the truth wants to give to our the truth is supposed to give to us and that healing virtue which it provides. And I believe that another reason why we don't share the truth apart from the fact that we are afraid of what people are going to say or the consequences I believe oftentimes we are afraid to, to share the truth, perhaps because we don't believe that the gospel is really good news. What do I mean by that? Anytime you receive good news, right, what is the first thing you want to do? You want to tell people about it, right? For those of you that get engaged, oh, I just got engaged. I'm going to tell my family and my friends that I'm about to get married, right? Or if you, you have, you receive the news that, oh, I just passed my MCAT, my DAT, my LSAT, or, or whatever test there is. If you just pass that test, the first thing you want to do is, hey, I got to tell someone about it. This is good news. I got to tell the world. Or some of us, if we just got a new job or promotion, we automatically want to tell someone about it. But why is it the case that when we hear the gospel preach, how come we don't do the same thing with the gospel? When we hear the words of the gospel in our, when it comes into our ears and when it comes into our mind, why isn't that we don't go out and start telling people about it? Could it be that we don't truly believe that the gospel is good news? Beloved, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and uh, I saw a distinct difference from, when I, like from the years before I was 19 to the years after. That was my conversion at the age of 19. And here I am, I'm a young person, I go to church, I, you know, I, I read the Bible, not like, I wasn't like really, like I wasn't a theologian or anything, but I, I read the Bible, I, I used it for devotions or different things like that. But for some reason, I, I was, you know, thinking about it as I was kind of preparing this message, why, what was the difference? You know, why was it that I'm so, more, so much more excited now than then? It's simple. It was, it was only because at the age of 19 that I realized that the truth actually would make a difference in my life. It was until I got to the age of 19 that my conversion experience, that I finally tasted the gospel for myself. I personally had an experience with God. And it was not until that conversion experience that I was like, you know, forget everything else. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing. Before I was 19... When I read through the Bible, it would just be like reading another novel, just be like another book. So how is it that you and I, how is it all of us can have that experience like Jeremiah, where the, the word of God is like a fire in our hearts, like it's a fire within our bones. Beloved, it's very simple. The Bible says, Psalms 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is what? Is good. Blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in him. What do we need to do? We need to have a personal experience with God. It is by having a personal experience with God and His Word that we can understand that the gospel truly indeed is good news. And let me give you an example. 
The Bible says in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I may not, what? Sin against thee. You know, one of the reasons why I was so inspired to tell people about the truths of this word, of, of, his, of the Bible, why I was so excited about wanting to go out and do the work like canvassing, like, like you know, go, doing this like hard work, like, why, why did I have that excitement? Why did I have that fire within my heart? Beloved, Psalms 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, when I started studying God's word, when I started claiming his promises, and I started to realize that there is power in his word, when I started to realize that the word of God was changing my life, that's when I started to realize, truly, the gospel is good news. The gospel changes. The Bible is powerful. And when you have that personal experience with God, guess what? You are going to go out to the highways, to the byways. You're going to go onto the top of the hill. You're going to yell out, Jesus is love. He came to, he's, he's come to save. Amen? We need to have a personal experience with God. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And you know what's interesting? Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. How is it that Jeremiah started to develop this burning within his heart? How did he get excited about the truth? How was he able to respond to his calling as a prophet? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, looking at verse 4 through 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, looking at verses 4 through 8. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here. And when you get there, if you could just give me an amen. All right. Jeremiah chapter 1, looking at verses 4 through 8. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, For I have formed thee in the belly. I knew you, and before you came as forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Very interesting. We know that the, that the responsibility of being a prophet was placed on the shoulders of Jeremiah. But when he was called at a young age, being around 20 years old, when he was called, his first response was not, Yes, Lord, here I am, send me, right? He says, Ah, but Lord, I cannot speak. I'm but a youth. I'm just a young person. How can you call me to such a great responsibility, a high calling? How can I be a prophet to the nations? This just doesn't make any sense. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For you shall go to all that I shall send thee. Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. So here God gives him a reassurance. Hey, I'm calling you. And don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to go with you wherever you desire that you go to do this work. But here's my question. How is it that Jeremiah was able to hold fast to his calling? How was it that he was able, in spite of all the, 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 the terror that was before him, in spite of all the gross sins that were before him, in spite of all the challenges that were before him, how is it that Jeremiah was able to continue to move forward as a prophet? Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. How? Jeremiah, how did you do that? How were you able to just have that experience of a fire burning within your heart? Notice what it says, Jeremiah chapter 15, looking at verse 6. The Bible reads, You have forsaken me, saith the Lord. You are gone backward. Therefore, I stretch out my hand against you and destroy. That is not the verse. 
All right, Jeremiah, I know it's in 15. Verse 16, not verse 6, verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did what? I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How is it, beloved, that Jeremiah, even at the early age, he was able to respond to the calling of a prophet? How is it that he was able to continue to to, to, to maintain that status? How was he able to, to be so excited about the truth? Beloved, he had an experience with God's word. Amen? The words to Jeremiah were as the food. And he ate it. He partook of the word. And the word, as with food, right? When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. Isn't that not true? What you eat is what you are. And so when Jeremiah was feasting on God's word in a spiritual sense, when he was studying the word of God, when he, was, when he was having time, communion with God, that is how the word of God was eaten. And I, I believe that is the reason why he had that burning in his heart. I believe that many of us, the reason why we don't have that strong urge is because we are just, we are just content with snacking on God's word. We don't want to feast on God's word. We don't want to have mealtime with Jesus, right? We just want a verse from Proverbs or a psalm. Or we're content with just listening to one sermon every week. But it is when we have a personal experience of God's word and that, that truth, when the truth changes us, beloved, that is when we will have that same experience as Jeremiah. That even when you get... You know, people throw rocks at you, even though people uh, persecute you or, 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 or scorn you or say these negative words to you, you're going to have this desire to press forward. Why? Because you know that the word of God is true. And because you know it's true, it can be true for someone else as well. Amen? There's a quote. This is uh, Testimonies, Volume 6, page 296, paragraph 2. The Bible says, wherever church is established. Is this a church? It's a church, right? It's a well-established church. All members should engage actively in missionary work. They should visit every family in the neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. And by the way, when I was reading this, I was like, what am I doing, you know? God is calling us to, to go to homes, to visit with homes, to visit with people, to talk with them, to mingle with them, to tell them about the truths. Continues on, it profess Christians had engaged in this work from the time when their names were first placed in the church books, there would not now be such widespread unbelief, such depths of iniquity, such unparalleled wickedness as seen in the world at this present time. If if every church member had sought to enlighten others, thousands upon thousands would today stand with God's commandment-keeping people. You know, we see a lot of issues happening in the world today, right? You turn on the news, there seems to be shootings every day, right? That seems to be the case. We see wickedness all over us. But she says, part of the reason that there is so much wickedness in the world today, that there is so much widespread violence, beloved, is because we are not doing the work that God has called us to do. Yes, it's true that it's inevitable that there are signs of the times that things like this will happen, but it is, it, we see that there are more, there's so much wickedness in the world. And she says that there's so much wickedness because God's church is not waking up. We're not doing the work that we've been commissioned to do. If we had been, thousands upon thousands would stand with God's commandment-keeping people. I'm going to close with this last story. It's a story about a man whose name was John Nelson Hyde. What's his name? John Nelson Hyde. And John Nelson Hyde was a, 
he was just a American, this, this just American, he was born in Illinois, he was born to, or his father was a Presbyterian minister. And this young man at an early age had this desire to go out across, you know, uh, across the sea to India. And he wanted to, be a, he wanted to be a missionary for God. And so he had this strong ambition, this dream, this vision. And so one day he had the opportunity to do that. And so he and four others, the five missionaries in total, they went out to a, uh, I can't remember exactly the place, but it's a place in India where nearly one million, there were nearly one million Christians, non-Christians, right? So he goes into, the, they go into this place where the gospel hasn't really been preached. And, and, and they, they, they go there with the intention of making a difference. They go there with the intention of seeing souls, one for the kingdom. But their initial experience there, or John's initial experience there, was a little disappointing. He didn't see that revival that he had hoped for. He didn't see what he had expected for. He thought thousands and thousands would be converted, that they would accept the gospel truth, that they would go into the baptismal tank. They, 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 he, he thought that that was going to take place. But when he got there, he was disappointed. Until there was one experience where he was a little bit encouraged because there were eight low-case persons who decided they wanted to be baptized. They were in this small village and they decided, you know, this gospel thing, there's something to it. Why don't we go ahead and make a decision for the gospel? And so they accepted Jesus into their lives and they were baptized. And he writes about this. He was encouraged. His faith started growing. John, as he was ministering out there in India, he, he had a lot of challenges. And one of the biggest thing, one of the biggest challenges for him was that he couldn't relate with the people too well because he didn't really, he wasn't really fluent with the language. He understood it. He could speak just a little bit. And part of the reason why he had a struggle with learning the language was because he was partially deaf. And so he had a difficult time with hearing people and, and communicating with people. And so he was thinking, you know, God, how are you going to use me? How am I going to be able to be a missionary here? So that was his challenge. But in 1899, he began to do something different in his experience. John Nelson decided to start praying intensely. Not just prayed like, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. Uh, Thank you for this meal. But he prayed intensely for the salvation of souls. And so he started praying, and, and he would do all-night prayer sessions, right? Praying to God earnestly, just, strive, uh, just, just struggling over the names of souls. And then what happened is in 18, uh, 1904, as he started having this, you know, these, these prayer experiences, in 1904, because he prayed so much, he joined what is called the Punjab Prayer Union, which was uh, um, they, they had formed at this convention in this place that I cannot pronounce, but is no, now known as pa- in Pakistan, right? It's in Pakistan. And uh, they were in this, this, this convention, and there was this conviction on, on their hearts that they wanted to start this, uh, this, this Punjab Prayer Union. And so what they would do is they would pray every day, 30 minutes, praying for revival and for reformation. So he was actually one of the, 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 the prayer leaders of this, of this group. But he, in 1908, four years later, he goes to this convention and he gets convicted even more that prayer is the key to making a difference in his life. And uh, it, it is going to be the, the, it's going to give him results in his witnessing. And so 1908, John Nelson he was convicted and convinced, and he made the decision that I'm going to pray for one soul every day. In other words, I'm going to pray that God would give me one soul to win for the kingdom. Just one. 
So he prayed, 1908. He began to pray. He prayed every day, earnestly, sometimes spending all night in prayer, asking God, God, today is a new day. Give me one soul. You know what happens? year later, he added 400 souls to his name. A little bit more than a year. Every day, God blessed him with a soul to win. He got encouraged by this. And then the following year, he decided to pray for two souls a day. And so he prayed earnestly to God, God, you did such a great work for me last year. Just give me two souls a day. Just double it. Guess what happened? It doubled to 800 the following year. And he got excited about that, right? Well, if you see results, then you keep doing it, right? Don't, don't break the wheel when it's, when it's moving. And so he continues to pray in 1910. He At this time, he's called Praying Hyde. They gave him the nickname Praying Hyde because he's so intense in prayer. And by the way, there was one time where he was praying... And someone was kind of struck back by his intense prayer life that one time he was praying out loud and he was like, give me souls, oh God, or I die. And so people were like, oh, this guy is intense. And maybe like, you know, like kind of go to the side, pray over there. But he prayed. He prayed earnestly. 1910, he made the commitment to pray for four souls a day. And God blessed tremendously. As I'm reading this, you know, it's not about the numbers. But I thought to myself, Kurt, how many souls are you winning, winning for the kingdom? How, how many souls can you think of in your mind that, that in which you are making an impact in your life, that you are changing their lives for the better? What difference are you making with the people that are at your church, the people that are at, at, in, in, you know, in, where you're working at? What difference are you making wherever you go? Are you earnest for the salvation of souls? You know, through this story, we find here that God wants to bless. That God is willing to bless. That he's wanting to use us. But the only thing is, like, we aren't earnest about it. We aren't sincere about it. And so as I was thinking about this story, I wanted to take my Christian experience to new heights. And I, I've been praying. I'm still thinking about what, what, what is it that God wants me to do. But I know for me, myself personally, that something needs a change. I know for myself personally that, that I want to make a difference. In this world today. I don't want to just go through day by day being busy with school, being busy with work, and neglecting the very calling of my life. And beloved, I hope that the same desire is in your heart. I hope that you would have that desire in your own mind. Like John Nelson to be like, you know what? One soul a day is not too much to ask. (laughs) Isn't that true? One soul? You meet so many people in the day. Can't you ask for one person to make a difference? And so, my appeal is very simple. How many of you want to take your Christian experience to another level? How many of you want to have a prayer life where you're going to ask God, even tonight or today, you're going to ask God, God, I want to make a difference. You may not ask for a soul a day, but God, I just, I want to change someone's life, even this year. I want to, I want to make a difference. Perhaps you've never done it before. Perhaps you've never given Bible studies. Perhaps you've never witnessed All it takes, beloved, is asking God that simple question. God, can you equip me? Can you give me the ability to make a difference in someone's life? How many of you want to do that this morning for this day? Amen. Beloved, I'm on the same page. You know, I I really want to make a difference in people's lives. Not so I can glory and be like, oh, look, a soul has just been won. But I want to see souls in the kingdom of heaven. Because there are people perishing around us. People that are even Christians, that that profess Christianity, but are struggling deep down inside. And beloved, we have a church here that can make a difference in their lives. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word.
thank you for the life of Jeremiah, which brings us inspiration. We thank you for the life of John Nelson, the praying hide, who, who, who showed us that it is so possible to win souls if we just ask. And so, Father, I want to pray in a special way for each and every soul that is in this room. For each and every one that has responded to the appeal, I pray that, that you would give us that desire within our hearts. That you would give us the burning within our hearts. That fire would burn within our bones. We'd be so excited for the gospel message that it would be good news. And that we want to tell as many people as possible. Father, I don't know what, what commitments uh, my friends here have made to you in their minds. Or what they plan on doing um, as far as, as bringing their, their Christian experience to another level. But I pray that you convict us. That you convi- convince us that you would that speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. And that you would give us the appropriate challenge. But also, I pray, for those that may not even have a desire for witnessing, who may, who, who may be sitting here today uh, perhaps just kind of indifferent or, or, or just doesn't really know if they want to really accept the gospel, I, I just want to pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would personally come down, that you would have them have an experience with you, that they would taste and see that truly you are good. And so, Father, as we leave from this place, we pray for your blessing. We pray that you would go with us and that you would place your words in our mouth like you did for Jeremiah and many of the other prophets. And I pray, Father, that regardless of what happens, regardless of the consequences, what people may say or how people may look at us or what changes in our life as a result of preaching the truth, I pray that we would leave the consequences with you and that we would just completely trust our life into your hands. This is my prayer. I ask this in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.